0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which of course means I was at FedEx Field Sunday night watching the Washington Commanders fall 20-12 to 12 to the New York Giants in a, needless to say, this was a huge game for both of these teams, and which whoever lost was going to uh, see their playoff uh, chances take a dip, but they're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination. I discussed what happened last night, as well as some other conversations about this team right now, including... Where where are things going with this offense? With Sam Forty Eight from the Washington Post, I'll get to that in a second. And because I'm getting, uh, I didn't get a podcast up last night. Look, I writing is the is the main thing I've got to do. And by the time I got everything done, it was a late night. So, uh, but we're doing it now. But as a little bit of a bonus, I thought I would do a little mini mailbag after my interview with Sam. So that's what we've got going on here, breaking down everything that's kind of going on with the Commanders right now. With Sam, as well as uh, some answering some of your questions. Now, I will just say here, though, quickly at the top. Oh, by the way, sometimes I forget to promote these things. You can, of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast, Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you do your podcasting. You know, hit the subscribe button. That way, you know the podcasts are there for you whenever they publish. Also, make sure to go subscribe or check out check me out on the Athletic news story up yesterday uh following the game david aldridge as well all right a couple quick things though we just talked to ron rivera a few minutes ago i'm talking to you on monday afternoon and i wouldn't say it was any like major revelations but i do want to get into a couple of quick things um and i'll play you some audio from from ron rivera today to sort of discuss this um First off, let's get to the quarterback stuff. Ron Rivera was asked uh, by my colleague uh, David Alder, "Just flat out, are you thinking about making a change?" Here is that exchange
2: from earlier today. Ron, do you did you give do you give any thought to a change of quarterback for next week? No, no, David. I, I think that the biggest thing, more than anything else, is you know sticking with with Taylor and and, and what we're trying to establish. Um, You know, and, and it is something, though, that obviously is talked about, obviously, out there. And it is something that, you know, to, to be quite frank, as I do have to think about at some point. But if we can continue to if we can get back on track and play the way we've played and do the things that we've done, um, you know, then we'll stick with where we are. Uh, until then, you know, I, I will I will do that.
1: All right. Now. I want to also then play for you. I mean, look, he says there that he's staying with Heineke. But that he's got to, you know, he's got to keep it in his mind that maybe you make the change. I mean, I think that's all reasonable. And me personally, I would have, I would have been surprised if he said Heineke wasn't a starter. But I do wonder about, you know, if you're, if you're trailing again at halftime, you know, do, does does he have a quick hook? I think the answer there was yes. But I want to then also get to questions that I asked Rivera. I asked these before he was asked about whether he's considering a change, but they are Heineke related. And you'll hear them, One has to do with what is the identity of this offense and what happened to the idea that if Heineke's strength is his mobility to help avoid the pass rush, what do you think now? Because the Giants were able to get to him a bunch during these two games. So here's my exchange with Ron Rivera today. Uh, Ron, uh, to sort of follow up on a little bit of that, at this point into the season, I'm curious, what do you see as your offensive identity? Because you do have the power running with Robinson, you have the receivers. What is the identity of this offense right now?
2: Okay, so to repeat it again, I think we can run the football and we can run the football downhill. And off of that, we can be a play-action team, um, a bootleg team, a physical up-front team. It gives our offensive line an opportunity to fire out and not have to catch as much. Uh, We've seen that that has been successful. and we got to continue on with that uh, type of mentality, um, in my opinion, just because I believe that is part of the formula. It's part of what we can do, um, and it's been successful for us.
1: And um, part of the appeal with Taylor is his mobility, of course, and with uh, it is to avoid pass rushers, extend plays, etc. The Giants were able to to get to him though uh, a, a fair amount. Has that something changed with that regard, or is it? How do you kind of view that aspect of it? If Taylor's strength is this ability, to mobility and extend plays. When the other uh, front is kind of getting getting at him a bit more,
2: well, there was a couple opportunities that that came up where he was in the pocket. Um, it was third and long situations. Um, I really think only one of them was a the first down or second down situation, second and long situation. So when we were put our, when we put ourselves into passing situations, really is when we had trouble and we struggled. When we we're, we're in situations where we're staying ahead of the chains. As I said, it makes our play action viable, and that's something we have to be aware of and be even better at.
1: All right, now I talk about this the identity aspect with Sam, so I don't want to step on things too much. But ultimately, it just does seem to me that if you're going to have acquired Carson Wentz because of his big arm, there's nothing that says you have to then throw the ball 40 times a game. You could run the same general ideas that you did with Heineke, meaning lean into the power running, as Rivera said, make that your focal point. But now for play action, which again, Rivera talked about, you have a quarterback with a huge arm that can make accurate throws down the field as we saw earlier this year. And that combination with Robinson seems like it could be pretty strong. And if the Heineke mobility aspect is not, I'm not saying it's not working, but if it's not giving you some definitive edge and then there's some of these other concerns, it doesn't seem to me to be that tough of a decision. But obviously it isn't just about that. There's other variables, uh, chemistry perhaps with the locker room or, or whatever it may be. Again, I'm, whenever I mention that, I'm not saying bad things about Wentz. I'm just saying the Heineken Hive and people seem to like Heineke. Um At the same point, players were talking last night about the red zone issues. John Allen, in my quote, in one of my main quotes in my story today, when I asked him what, what went wrong in the game, he said turnovers, penalties, and red zone scoring, that was the game, end quote. I asked a different question a, m- a moment later about the sort of the defense, and he came back to that exact same thing. And I'm just going to – if the defense is talking about the red zone scoring, I mean, they are aware of what's going on here. They're never going to call each other out, and that's, of course, you don't want that to happen. But everybody recognizes the red zone scoring is a problem. So what do you do about it? And the quarterback situation is the most obvious thing you could do, but we will see how that goes. Um. All right. Here's what I'm going to do now. We're going to get into my conversation with Sam Fortier with the post. You can, of course, follow Sam on Twitter at Sam, the number four TR. And of course, while I'm here, you can follow me at Ben Standing as well. So here's my conversation from before Ron Rivera talked today with Sam Fortier about what went on in that loss Sunday night, and where things are going forward with the commanders.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer. If you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: All right. Uh, as promised, joining me on the podcast uh, is one of our uh, talented writers on the beat. But before, you know, here's the deal. I could pick a few different people that come on with the beat, But like for this particular one, when you have a night game, you need need the grinders. You need the ones who are there till all hours of the night. And I'm leaving the press box at some ungodly hour. And there was only one of the reporter in there with me. And he is here with me now on this podcast. He is Sam Fortier with The Washington Post. Uh, Late nights, like last people in the press box. That's what you and I are all about, Sam. Am I right about this? I mean, you know, game in, game out we're consistently the ones pretty much there.
3: Absolutely. I think you and I benefit from you working at the athletic and me writing what the post calls are like post game follow. We are not on any tight print deadlines. We we don't have, uh, you know, the, the video obligations. So that, that helps us, uh, you know, stew in in what I'm sure you like me would consider like, your your brain of trying to understand exactly how this all went down and trying to contextualize that. And it just takes time, man. And especially after those night games, that leads to a, a late night.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm going to deviate here for one quick second. So there was one game where, I think we were we, where was the game where we got stuck? Like, was that Indianapolis? <laughs> In Indianapolis. Yeah, you and I got stuck. I think we were both there after
3: like the security exit had closed. So... <laughs> for yeah. for all the listeners, there was an incredible moment um, where standing and I were were hopping over a fence trying to get out of uh, Lucas Oil
1: right, like I mean, you know, you, you obviously if you're going as a game as a fan, you know, the game ends you leave at a, re- you know, within, you know, 10, 15 20, 30 minutes, whatever, and the gates are open, but when you're in the press box, and you're in the media and you're there for several hours they f- forget you exist sometimes and they close up shop and you can't physically find a way to get out, now there probably was a way we're not at our home stadium, so we don't know. So they, so Sam finds this one spot where, like, it's not a real, it's not an exit. You could, do, it was just like hopping over, uh, like a little barrier kind of thing, and then you had to hop over like a there was like some, uh, you know, so, so, some uh, what do you call that? So some tr- we uh, we there, it like was probably bush. like
3: a it was like a six foot drop into a garden bed.
1: Yeah, basically. So look, Sam's young and spry, and he did it easy. I'm not like decrepit, but like, I'm not, you know, there's only so much I'm doing these days in terms of like working out and exercising. <laughs> so I, I then tried to do it. And uh, yeah, needless to say, we we, we we made it out, but like, I was like slightly unsure of my footing. Like I felt like I was like, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I didn't have confidence in my knees to drop down or I don't know. So anyway, so I, I do it, but like, I pull, like I'm holding on to this ledge to drop down. I'm not kidding. This is embarrassing to admit. Like my forearm hurt for like a month. I don't know what I <laughs> did. I must have pulled something. It was ridiculous. So that, that was probably like if somebody said to me, What was the point you felt really old this 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 uh this season? That might have been the one other than perhaps right now, because the lack of sleep uh is 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 definitely a real thing. No, no, no complaints. This is fun. I'm just saying this is where we're at right now.
3: One more thing I would add to that Indianapolis story oh, is boy. that game was central power. It was like a 425 Eastern kick. I think we left the press box maybe at 11, midnight-ish. And there were people who, like, had clearly gone to the game and were going home from the bar. And they walked past us as we were doing this. And I could see them, like, laughing and being like, what What are those people doing? Are they trying to break into Lucas Oil? So I I have very fond memories of that experience.
1: Yeah, that, that, that was a uh... – I don't know if it's a highlight or a low light, but it was a light of some sort, uh, on the season for me and, and and for you, um. All right, well, let's shed some light on what happened here. We've had a little bit of time to reflect, and like I imagine, if you're listening to this podcast, you've already, uh, you know, been reading a lot about it. You've been looking at things online, and you know, you you've already formed some thoughts. Uh, we'll do our best to try to uh, add some new insight and move forward a little bit. I guess just biggest takeaway, uh, yes, they obviously blew a huge opportunity. Uh, I guess for you, what's your big takeaway though, in terms of uh, what happened and, and and why did Washington ultimately find itself on the wrong end uh, of that 20 to 12 game last night?
3: There are certainly a bunch of factors officiating, you know, uh, Taylor Heineke sack fumble. There's, there's a lot of different factors, but to me, the biggest problem, and I, and I wrote about this today was the emergence of, of the red zone struggles again. And I say that because they kept stalling out, you know, this offense, the red zone is really important for it because they're run first, they're in explosive. Um, Taylor Heineke is I – think, I think he's pretty much had the same game every day, every week that he's been a starter. You know, he yo-yos between, like, inexplicable brilliance and in massive mistakes. And, like, that's just who that guy is. But you have to turn those red zone trips into touchdowns. You can't stall out and kick field goals because your margin of error is so thin uh, when you're not scoring that many points. So, to me, the reemergence of the red zone struggles and, and how much every, every offensive player in the Rock room focused on it last night was really telling to me because, you know, them stalling out in the first quarter and then, you know, again in the second quarter, they have the, the touchdown in the third, but those two fourth quarter drives when you're deep in the red zone and you don't get it done, that, I think, it creates a situation where officials can play an outsized influence in the game, and I think that was, you know, one of their biggest problems.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I do think I agree with you in terms of the end, you know, the the officials. I mean, look, I think we can all agree reasonably that Curtis Samuel was uh, mugged, right? I mean, I think that seems like a reasonable take. And I'd be lying if I still had said I understood what the hell happened with the Terry McLaurin thing when it seems clearly he's looking at the ref says he's pointing to say, am I good? And some sort of miscommunication there where the ref ultimately said not true. But and this is what Ron Rivera's point was as well. If they get, if they produce in the red zone, those last few plays don't matter, right? And maybe that's a little simplistic because there's always something that's going to matter. But that is the point. They this margin of error that they have is so tiny that they cannot afford any kind of mistakes. And I'm thinking back about this, like you know, during this surge where things were going well, right? The, they they're the team that held the Bears outside, the, they're at the half yard line on the last play of the game. The what what's the Taylor Heineke shirt effort or effort Terry's down there somewhere, <laughs> right? You know that was born in the Indianapolis game where Heineke throws up a basically a jump ball, McLaurin comes down to catch it. They set up the game winning touchdown. The, the Atlanta game a couple weeks ago, you know, Duron Payne sticks up his his hand, tips the ball, interception with Atlanta about to score the game winning touchdown inside the five. They were the team making these plays, but that's what also what it took for them to do it because they just didn't have the ability to to drop you know 27, 30 points consistently or score easily almost ever. And and, and this is the this is the deal that they find themselves in. So we can complain about the refs and this, that, and the other, but ultimately you're right. I mean, the 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 red zone aspect of it all for a team that's playing so tight with margin of error is tough. And also, this was a game where the defense, which has been bailing them out all year, No sacks, no turnovers, right? I mean, I can't. They could have done better, but like, it's hard to sit here and blame them when they've been the. They've really, you know, kind of set the tone for this turnaround. The offense has to pick them up, and they couldn't do it.
3: They they allowed thirteen points at home off a bye week against an offense with two weapons. And yeah, of course, like the ninety-seven yard drive where they convert a fourth and nine—that's inexcusable. That is unacceptable. But at the same time. They allowed 13 total points. That should be enough of a performance to get it done with the offense. And so to me, when, when and I think that there's a lot of questions I have here about like who is to to blame for the offense big picture, right? Is it Scott Turner's play calling or is he limited by his quarterback and his offensive line, which doesn't pass block well. And if that's true, then how much does the front office deserve blame for building an offensive line you know investing so much resource so many resources into building a passing offense then giving that passing offense such bad pass blockers so I mean I, I think that like you can have that debate and kind of assign blame in any way you choose but this is the offense that it is like that they are going to have we're headed to week 16 there's it's too late to make substantial changes even if you put you know Carson Wentz in there I think it just Lowers the floor and raises the ceiling, but it's really ultimately probably the same. So, to me, like that's why the margins of the red zone are also super important because this is just who you're going to be and you've got to make those chances count.
1: Yeah, uh, for sure. I I was, um, bleary eyed or I don't know, bleary eyed matters if I'm talking, but whatever. I was a bleary eyed this morning on the radio with Kevin Sheehan discussing all this stuff. And you know, you're right, I, you know, the micro level. Yeah, the, the, all the things we just discussed, the penalties, the red zone, and all that. But, like, on the bigger level, like, my question is do they, every team has multiple ways to score? You know, you, you hope at least, you know, the good teams, but they also ultimately have an identity. Maybe it's the quarterback is, you know, the, you know, the, the, the ultimate decision maker and the one making the plays, you know, if it's an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady kind of a guy or, or maybe it's a team like San Francisco where like the quarterback, <laughs> he doesn't even matter that much because of the play calling and the run dynamics and things like that. I, I don't know if this team knows what his identity is. And the Brian Robinson aspect last night, I think is an example because clearly he was very effective. I mean, he is just you know running over people. It takes him. It takes a village to take him down, but he only had 12 carries only had four in the second half. Now, part of that is they were trailing, but you know, if this is who you are I think personally the Brian Robinson emergence is more responsible for why they've turned things around than Taylor Heineke at this point but you have these weapons at receiver but McLaurin and Samuel and and Dotson who are also effective you want to get the ball in their hands and it feels like there's this constant push pull between one minute they're the team that's going to run the ball over and over again with Brian Robinson and then there's this team that has all these toys and they want to get the ball in their hands and I don't think they, to me, it doesn't feel like game in, game out, they know who they are on offense. And that leads to some of these problems. I mean, look, the, uh, the, I'm not going to ignore the quarterback port, right? We can get to that aspect in terms of Heineken, Wentz in a minute. But um, I, I just don't know what they are. Plug and play, whoever's a quarterback, what is this team doing? And I think last night was a good example. of They, I don't think, know it. And the play calling, I think, suffers at times
3: whenever you try to ask Scott Turner what he wants the offensive identity to be, he'll say, we want it to be multiple. We want to win in multiple ways. If, if they're shutting down our quick passing game, we want to be able to go vertical. We want to run the ball at times, so, you know, like they want to be able to be different teams. I, I think that the thing about their offensive identity is I, we know that they can run the ball successfully. I think losing Tyler Larson at center really hurts that because he's a bigger guy. He's a really good run blocker. They're running duo super well, um, you know, during that stretch, but, they are not a team that has shown they can win passing consistently, whether that be the offensive line, the quarterback, a mixture of the two. The the thing that was egregious to me yesterday about the play calling about, you know, kind of the rhythm and and who are you using in what situations is Brian Robinson rips off a 19 late in the fourth quarter, Brian Robinson rips off a 19 yard run to basically put them at the 11 yard line, you know, that lower red zone area. And the next play, I believe, was, was the Curtis Samuel jet sweep, which had already been very ineffective the pre- previous two times he tried it. So to go back to that a third time and to get one yard off of it, I just thought to myself, like, it doesn't matter, I, I think, what your offensive identity is as long as it's effective. And you had already had evidence that the Giants were, were playing that play particularly well. And I get that it worked the week before, but but why make that play call in that situation? It just felt a little tone deaf or forced to me.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree. I did like a mailbag, I don't know, last week or something. And one of the questions was about Scott Turner, you know, is it good? Does he suck? Whatever. And like, I think my basic takeaway was like, I think, you know, look, I think Scott Turner is limited, obviously, with the quarterback situation. I think he's done some good things but there are times where it feels like he wants to show you he's the smartest guy in the room or look how creative I can be. You talk about these other play callers. Here's what I can do. And you know, you can look at like, I haven't looked at the all 22 or anything yet, but like the, you know, I'm sure there will be some plays. where like, Oh, look how open that guy was. It's not like he's not doing some things to get people open, but ultimately, you know, kind of like we're saying, like, what, what is the mindset in a given moment with the play calling and then like, what's the identity and I, uh, you said something that reminded me of something. I almost hate to bring this up, being that you are a Syracuse guy. But, <laughs> but I remember when I used to cover Georgetown basketball in the John Thompson the Third Princeton offense era, and he would talk about what his teams were up to. You know, like what was the plan? He's like, "Well, you know, if the defense gives us this, we'll take that, or vice versa." And when we talk about why did Georgetown struggle often in the NCAA tournaments, I always said it was because. They're allowing the other team to dictate the terms. If you're just willing to take what the team is giving you, that's not enough. You have to decide at some point. We want to do these things, and that's where like the idea of being a an offense that can beat you in multiple ways, sure, of course. But what are you doing? Force the Giants to stop Brian Robinson, something they could not do, and something that has been really effective for these for this team for the last you know couple months. Do that rather than like, well, if they're going to give us these things, we'll go over here of course to a degree but not what are you doing It'll put you you determined to dictate the rules of the game I think to me that's an important component and I think your your point of what Turner says is that is is good and unfortunately reminded me of this Georgetown exchange that I would have often
3: I think one of the other things that stuck out to me is like the the play like, like there are moments where like people I think want to it's easier to blame one person wholesale right like People are always on Twitter being like, uh, Oh, Scott Turner sucks. Like Taylor's, you know, Taylor's fine. It's it's all in the play calling. It's like, I think it's, it's people got to get comfortable with a level of gray here. Like I think the flea flicker call last night was actually a great play call. Like, and, and they dialed it up. They got the look, you know, Taylor overthrew the guy. And so like, to me, it's, it's, that's a combination of things. And, and later, obviously there are, there are problems with this play calling, but, it's, it's it's people got to be okay with with sharing blame here it's not all one person and i think that in the same way that you mentioned you know scott turner might want to seem like the smartest guy in the room it feels like sometimes people when they take out their frustrations want to just make that guy you know want to sound like the smartest person in the room and say hey you know it's actually all this guy when it's really a combination of things
1: right and plus like look all these nfl games come down to the last second i and or i'm i have a Sports Center on in the background here while I'm talking to you with the sound off and they're just replaying the end of that New England Raiders game and obviously that's like an all-time craziness but we saw so many crazy games this weekend teams are blowing leads coming back all these kinds of things Uh, this is the NFL like I I, you know I mean I I talked to Tress way after the game last night about this and um, you know complimentary football that was such a you know big big buzzword for these guys right and to A degree you were seeing the signs of it last night. Treshway is getting multiple punts inside, you know, the five or ten yard line. But the 97 yard drive, the defense couldn't hold it up, allowing a fourth and nine play to, to convert. Uh, in there, the offense wasn't doing enough to sort of keep the momentum going over there. And sometimes it just doesn't work out, it's not just any one component, right? I mean, if they when they kick it when he kicks it to the three, if they get a three and out. Now the offense is set up with really good field position, and maybe just even one first down gives Joey Sly a field goal attempt or whatever. But th- this is how it goes; It not it's, it's almost never just one person. Um, that said, let's let's talk about one position, quarterback. I mean, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. I, I just don't think like when, when when things were going great with Heineke and uh, you know the Heineke Hive is you know screaming here. He's the he's the guy. He's all that. Oh, but, and you're like, um, okay, well, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. He's the same guy we saw last year. Just things are going their way. And then when things start to turn, ah, oh, Heineke's not good. He's whatever. He's got to do better. I'm like, this is who he is. Like, there's no, like, there's no upside here. There's, there, there's no, he's hit the ceiling. It's impressive what he's done, but this is what it is. They have to figure out ways for these last three games to work around it. But if there is, there is one variable they can do, they could switch the quarterback. And I do think, you know, obviously Carson Wentz is at least now active. Um, he he was number two this game. This is at least now a debate for you. What's the debate right now? Is there even a debate in your head to possibly switch? And if so, what what's the reasoning behind it?
3: I I don't know if I have a preference on like which quarterback they play. Um, I think that the question here for Ron Rivera is, what are you prioritizing? Because if you want a decently high floor in a very capped ceiling, Heineke is your guy. If you think to yourself, hey, our defense is going to play well enough, and last game was an aberration, and I think if we score 18 to 21 points, that's going to get us into the playoffs. We're going to win two or three of these last games. I think then that's the guy you roll with. If you say, hey, I am not confident that 18 to 21 points is going to be enough. I- I'm not confident that Taylor will, you know, minimize or – you know, lessen these critical mistakes that he has, and we got to go to Carson Wentz, then you're, saying, then you're saying we need a higher ceiling like the Jacksonville game, and we'll accept a lower floor like the Philadelphia game or the Dallas game earlier this year. So to me, it's less about like, who do I think is, is going to be a better quarterback? I think that obviously they both have their huge struggles. Taylor's not going to take as many sacks, but Carson's going to be able to throw deep much, much better. So the question to me is just for Ron Rivera, what is your appetite for risk and what is the best thing for you to do for your team?
1: Yeah, for sure. And and like, you know, the, the, the the opponent this week kind of clouds the circumstance because they're at San Francisco, as we know on Christmas Eve and the 49ers, you know, have one of the best defenses in the league. Their pass rush is pretty, uh, you know, pretty potent. And you know Washington's offensive line—that's been the one constant all year. The, you know, at various points, the defense was giving up big plays. They've they've closed that down. Uh, you know the, the 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 receivers weren't getting the ball enough. Now that's happening. The run game wasn't going enough. That's going fine now or whatever. The offensive line not being so great, particularly in pass in pass protection, has been a constant. And this is the wrong opponent for that kind of an issue. And you're right. I mean, if you if you if you go with Heineke. You're limiting the ceiling, but in theory, you're giving yourself a quarterback with more, well, not in theory, you're giving yourself a quarterback with more mobility, whether that's enough to matter, you know, in terms of scoring points and, 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 you know, Heineke was the one taking the hits yesterday, far more than Daniel Jones. That's a thing, but yeah, Carson Wentz gives you the bigger ceiling because of his ability to throw the ball down the field, his size, all that. Um, Last week I asked Ron Rivera, half serious, half joking, but mostly serious about what – like, it's insane to use multiple quarterbacks in the same game that's like, you know, you know, Harry High School kind of stuff or, or the Houston Texans. Um, but, but like, I don't know. Like, part of me kind of, like, at this point is kind of like, look, rather than pick one of the two, what if you used Heineke from the 20 to the 20 on some level and Carson Wentz in the red zone? I'm not saying this is realistic. I'm saying if we're going to be at a point where it's pick or choose, who are you going with, what are you doing – shouldn't this be at least a discussion point because on some level having them both would alleviate uh, it, it would allow you to sort of uh alleviate the concerns that each player provides while maximizing what they can do uh would you buy any of that if ron rivera says "Yeah, screw it we're gonna go with both of them somehow i'd like that i think but what do you think there's
3: that legendary quote where it's like, if you got two quarterbacks, you got none <laughs> that, that to me is, is sort of where we're at. If, if you're playing two quarterbacks, I think you lose the confidence of the team because you're telling the team like, Hey, uh, we don't really have confidence in either got to be that dude for, for the entire game. But I will say that, and this is maybe an indictment of, of, you know, the, the Turner and Heineke um, gray, you know, high for portion of blame or whatever, but, the thing that stuck out to me that that I was looking up last night is if you, if you divide the red zone up into chunks and you, and you look at the lower red zone and the goal line. So that's like the 14 yard line in Heineke has completed only eight of his 22 attempts. That's the lowest mark in the NFL this year by nearly 10% since 2000 out of 752 qualified quarterback seasons, that completion percentage is tied for 727 and like, he's completed one of his 11 passes on third and fourth down. And uh, it's just, it's like Scott Turner in the red zone is very balanced as a, as a play caller. You know, it's almost 50, 50 run pass. And that works in the, in the high red zone. You saw it last night with the touchdown to Jahan. Like there, are just, there are windows that Taylor can see uh, that he can throw into. It, it's just like, for whatever reason, that's enough space. When you get in the lower red zone, it's, it's clearly a massive problem and, and Turner's insistence or, or tendency towards balance actually really hurts them and so to me if you said hey Carson Wentz uh is has that arm he can fit in the throws which is ironic considering the end of this Tennessee game earlier this year but if you said hey he's going to be better in the lower red zone where we've had massive struggles especially throwing the ball then that's acceptable but to me like saying let's go with both guys is uh would be a real vote of non-confidence for both
1: I hear you, but like at this point, do you think that do you think anybody thinks they have real confidence in either guy? Like, I, I think that like if this was week three, no, that would be insane. But like you know, basically like right now they're more or less in the playoffs, like or not in the playoffs, but these are playoff kind of games. And in any, you got to do what you got to do to win, right? I feel like they're in that mode. That's why to me, I don't think it's as crazy as it is. Even though admittedly, it's kind of nuts because that's just not how the NFL does things. But you got to do what you got to wait, wait.
3: do. Wait, you just said it's not that crazy. Okay, it's kind of nuts. Well, I mean,
1: you know, look, society is a lot of group think and it's hard to be at step outside the box and do, you know, it's like, you know, one of my favorite movies is uh, Moneyball. And when Bill, you know, it's easy now to say, well, of course, this makes sense. But when Billy Bean is starting to do that, he's getting like, you know, mocked, side eyed. What's going on here? This is terrible. But it made sense. And now everybody does. that. That's all I'm saying. Like, I mean, I'm not saying the world's going to all of a sudden start using two quarterbacks. But, you know, it, like, like if, 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 if for example, if we said, hey, they're going to use John Bostick in passing situations, but David Mayo in the run. OK, right. You take advantage of what both guys can do. I'm just saying maybe it's something to consider, even if it's the most important position and it would look weird and you'd be uncool and be like shooting um, free throws granny style or something like, like ah, people are not going to make fun of you. But if if it gives you the best chance, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to ignore it. That's all I'm saying.
3: I hope someone aggregates this podcast and like the headline is like standing colon two quarterbacks are the new on base percentage.
1: Hey, you just, you know, you gotta do what you gotta, what you gotta do. Um, all right, let's go to a couple other things here before I, before I let you go. Um, the two point conversion attempt, you know, third quarter, they cut, they're down 14, three at halftime. That was their largest deficit in the game since week seven, but they, they come out they score touchdown. Uh, pretty quick, the, the the really nice pass from Heineke to Dodson, who Dodson had a really good game yesterday, and then the, the, they decided to go for two. There's like eight minutes or so, roughly left in the third quarter. Uh, you know, I I do not I don't, I don't know what the number said. I didn't like that call, and I'm not somebody who like poops the analytics and says you know you can't do, go with that stuff. But when you're a team that is struggling to put up points, period, in a game where the other team is is going to be as well. I think you just take the actual point whenever you can get it. And obviously I know they threw a two point play. It worked, but there was a pe- they re- the refs rule that, uh, you know, Jahan Dodson was uh, committed an OPI on the play, the, ru- the rub play, pick play, whatever you want to say. Okay. Bad luck there that they got called, but I, I-, I didn't like going for two that early um, in a game in which points are limited and you have to think your defense is going to be able to slow the Giants down enough this isn't a game where you're like oh we can't stop the other team we gotta you know do whatever so I didn't personally like that I'm not saying they lost the game because of that but instead of being you know I don't like taking the points and I think to a degree that 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 extra point kind of screwed them a little bit you know the mar- final margin was eight you know they still would have got a two at the end even if they had gotten the touchdown
3: so I think there's a couple of of things to address here. First, this was not, in my sense, a case of the analytics suggest being aggressive, like in the fourth quarter when you score to go down fifteen or, or down eight. This is not one of those things where people can like curse the spreadsheets and say like, "Why do you follow that?" This, to me, was more of Ron Rivera sensing that you know he wanted to give his team a spark. He wanted uh, to maximize the points, which I think is is again really important because when you have a run first offense that relies on sustaining long drives, which is, is very hard to do in the NFL. Like you got to maximize your point totals when you're down there. And I think that when you've given up a sack fumble and you're, you're already, you know, giving them seven points to me, I wonder if Ron Rivera was almost saying, okay, we, we gave them seven. Now we got to be a little bit more aggressive and get that back. I get that. It doesn't work out. So it looks bad in, in retrospect, but to me, I like the aggressiveness just because this offense has struggled to score points and you got to maximize every trip.
1: Yeah. And, and I will say like, I don't like the game of saying I, something wasn't, I didn't like the play call because it didn't work or that was a great play call because it did work. So I, I'm with that. I, like I said, for me, it just felt like a bit, a bit much, but uh, you know, uh, we don't have to labor on that. Um, Good, good thoughts on there. Uh, here's another question. We talked before about the Brian Robinson situation that he only had 12 carries and it seemed like they got away from one. Well, it doesn't seem like they got away from him when that was really working. But what's interesting is he only had 24 snaps in the game. Total Gibson was, a, I think had, was about 36, 38 snaps total. And that's really interesting. Cause that's not the first time in a while where Gibson had substantially more than Robinson. And I'm wondering since I don't know about any kind of an injury, I'm wondering if this was a case of they felt they needed to pass to try to kind of keep going, you know, to, to to come back a little bit, and they just feel that Gibson is they're more comfortable with Gibson both as a pass catcher, but maybe also a pass blocker, and that led to them not using Robinson as much. What what what's your view on on that, or just why Robinson only got 24 snaps, let alone uh, 12 carries?
3: Yeah, I saw that as a byproduct of of just the game flow and the situation, like with JD McKissick hurt, you know, I think the AG, especially, you know, as, as you've seen in previous games is is more explosive out of the backfield. I think he was a more natural receiver. That's just, that's his game. And so, you know, when you're down by a couple scores or when you're down by eight, you know, and you're, and you're trying to come back and you're passing like he's the guy you're going to want on the field. So we haven't seen them trail in in that way uh, in a little bit, obviously they did to some degree um, at the end of that giants game. The last Giants game, but I didn't see it as anything other than game flow and, and Scott Turner deciding, hey, we need to throw the ball a little bit more here.
1: Uh, for 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 sure. Um, all right. Uh, lastly, I guess you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it I it think it's just we we were both in the locker room last night, and and for me, like my, the lead of my story was more or less like how a lot of these guys just looked like zombies. Um, afterwards, and it's not like they have lost games before, but this was different. This was different because, like, they were the favorite team, even if, even if the they were playing the team that they just tied. You know, the point spread suggests that people were viewing them as better than the Giants. I think a lot of people think that they are, at least in terms of like g- general talent. Um, I think the coaching may be a little bit different. I think the Giants have done really well there, but the you had the you know, the crowd was you know was as much pro Washington as they've had at home. You know pro- uh, probably this season, national TV. This was a chance to really show, hey, we are uh, a, a team you have to pay attention to in the NFC. And then they just came out so flat. Uh, well, I, I, let me rephrase that I don't know if they came out flat, they just lost the game. I mean, you know, they were the team that scored first. I don't think they came out flat, but whatever. Now, what <laughs> you know, now uh, you know, like they're going to play, you know, arguably the best team in the NFC right now in San Francisco, or I guess you know, it's hard to argue it's not Philly, you know, you lose this game, uh, you know, you pretty much have to win your last two. Uh, I, I, I'm not saying they are about to just uh, throw in the towel by any stretch, but, you know, I, you do wonder a little bit like where their, where their mentality is. I think those three runs in a row by Saquon Barkley after the Heineke, his second fumble looked to me almost like a team that was like kind of losing it there for, for a minute. Um, what do you think happens now? Like what, what, what's your best guess in terms of where this team is at, mentally uh you know uh, everything else uh, you know uh, was this the high mark of the year because you know going into the game because they were so jacked up and now they've hit a real low or are they just going to turn around because this is the nfl and week to week things are things don't don't even matter that much
3: this is a really interesting test right because you're because of all the schedule circumstances that you mentioned it's it's not dissimilar I hesitate to draw like a one-to-one comparison because last year they were going through COVID but the wheels came off in Dallas you know that basically ended their season John Allen, Duran Payne you know getting in the fight on the sideline like around you know it was Christmas weekend last year where things just totally imploded and this year for a lot of reasons it feels different. Um, yesterday was a massive massive loss for them because like you said they failed to capitalize on on a good home crowd and um, you know, it's, it's a big game in year three for them to take a step forward to, to hopefully make the playoffs. Um, but how do they respond in San Francisco? I think that's going to be um, a, a real litmus test. I don't I don't think that, that the wheels are going to fall off. I don't sense that there's the undercurrent of tension or frustration that there was when, when COVID was going on because, uh, you know, th- there was so much out of their control. But, I mean, if they go and get absolutely blown out on Saturday night, that's going to be a big problem and, and really would, would make me question, um, is this team able to be competitive in their last two games, particularly against, you know, Dallas at the end of the year. So all of that to say, I, I think that that they're going to come out and be competitive. I don't I don't think that they're going to win. I think that they could lose by, by 10 points or, you know, you know, somewhere around there. But as long as they don't get blown out, I think that uh, they have a chance to, to get into
1: the dance at the end of the year yeah i mean we didn't really discuss the playoff thing i mean obviously their their road now is a lot more complicated but it's hardly impossible they're still the seventh seed as today with three weeks to go. seattle and detroit are right behind them and obviously detroit is like one of the hottest teams in the league uh but you know they if they you know basically if they win two of their last three they're probably in simple you know sort of basic simple math they probably won't catch the Giants at this point, unless the Giants just completely go over for down the stretch. But, yeah, I mean, this is a weird setup. The opponent's really good. You're on the road, short week, coming off a really disappointing loss. They clearly were emotional about it. Um, You know, one player, to me, almost looked like he was kind of welling up almost a little bit. Um, And, uh, you know, it's tough. So we'll see how they can come out of this. I think they've been pretty good that locker room, as we know. Is, they're, they're pretty tied together they, 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 you know, that hasn't been an issue we'll see how they battle through this and I do think the quarterback situation is something that could be a factor by the way do you think Carson Wentz plays next week I'll ask you that and I'll let you get out of here <laughs>
3: um, I feel like that to me is, is not quite at the level of uncertainty of is Chase Young going to play next week but uh, it's really it's really difficult to say I would say that we see him before the end of the year but next week I'm not exactly sure
1: uh, he is at Sam the number four TR on Twitter read him at The Washington Post good stuff today on the red Zone woes and uh, look when you're trying to get out of a stadium and you're trying to scale uh, a, a barrier to get that get you know get back into real life you know he's a good wingman to have for uh sure even though I injured my forearm somehow on the uh, in the moment what a ridiculous time that was. uh Sam I appreciate it my guy have a good have a good one get some rest. And uh, we'll, we'll talk later. Standing,
3: you do as well. I always appreciate coming on. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'll see you in the burn tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right. I really enjoyed that conversation uh, with Sam. Um, before that started, I had mentioned on Twitter that I was going to record a pod. And if anybody had questions or comments or whatever, to fire them away at me on Twitter at Ben Standing. So some of you did, and, and I wanted to um, answer some of these things as best I uh, could um w- one question here from at big john, from at big underscore john underscore nineteen oh six? Will this season's outcome be enough to finally land the plane on being aggressively mediocre and go out and get a real quarterback and OC? Um, so a couple things here. I I do think they have aggressively tried to go find a quarterback. I mean, I, I think Ron Rivera, you know, they, they tried to get Matthew Stafford. That, you know, it was, uh, you know, sort of a, a a deal there for the Rams that the commanders just couldn't, couldn't top. And this past offseason, you know, they went and tried to go from the top of the league to the bottom to try to find somebody. And they landed on Wentz, who, you know,
2: uh,
1: he's in that category of, Guys, you probably don't want to start, but you can if you have to. And and Heineke's probably in there as well, but like, you know, more towards the back end of, of that group. And it's not like there really were too many other options. Again, we've talked about before, you know, maybe you spend the first round pick on Kenny Pickett. But other than that, I don't really know what else they would have done, especially, you know, if you Monday morning quarterback it and look at what other teams have done. There's just not, or what other quarterbacks have done in new spots this year. There just really wasn't anything that impressive. Uh, Th- that said, I mean, they've got to come up with a better plan. And even if this is to draft a, a, a rookie, I'm not dismissing Sam Howell. I'm just saying he was a fifth round pick. If you were in the first round, um, wherever they are, and there's a quarterback there, I mean, I think you've got to really take a long look at it. Because even if you end up going with a veteran, whether it's some sort of like a Heineke guy or um, you know somehow Wentz takes some uh, a pay cut, perhaps whatever it may be, you still need to have a plan for the future. And they just don't have one right now. Plus to me, this ties into the identity of it all. What quarterback fits with you want to do, even if it's not a star, what is it that you are trying to accomplish here and go find a person who can do that. Wentz and Heineke are incredibly different quarterbacks and athletes. Um, You know, there's no carryover. That's why uh, everything looks so dramatically different when you go from one to the other. So, um, look, I, I do think the quarterback issue is a huge concern. It remains so. The one easy way – right, right, let me rephrase that. There's no easy way. But one potential way to fix this is if Wentz plays down the stretch here and shows enough, whatever that may mean for them, to say we can, we, we can keep this guy uh, – maybe, again, they have to renegotiate a contract – but we can keep this guy – move forward with him and and feel we've got a real shot again Wentz has a great arm he's got the size there are questions but if you build up the offensive line maybe that's enough in any event i i think they're always on the look for quarterback i think they have tried aggressively but there's only so many of these guys that go around and they just have not been able to officially get one uh at a underscore process asks why no cosme the most athletic offensive lineman should have been able to contribute a tackle or a guard, even if only to keep Lucas and Turner fresher, uh, much less being able to pull on running plays and screens. Um, we did not ask Rivera about that today, about about why Sam Cosme received zero offensive snaps yesterday. And now he obviously had been playing at either splitting time at right tackle with Cornelius Lucas or, Uh, starting at right guard when Trey Turner was out, but then Cosme suffered his own ankle injury uh, and uh, didn't play today. Now he was active and he was with the starters um, at at times this week in practice. This again, the open part that we could see. So I, I mean, on the one hand, it's a little surprising. They didn't go back to some sort of split. On the other hand, it's kind of abnormal to do a split like that on the offensive line. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I do think that Cosme playing guard, we've talked about this a bunch, is maybe ultimately where he ends up. I do think this was a, one problem for this game, though, was the Giants' defensive line is really good. In fact, if you wanted to make a case that they had the better of the two star, uh, starting defensive lines, uh, four across, than Washington, I think it's a reasonable argument, in part because they have two excellent tackles in, uh Dexter Lawrence, and Leonard Williams. But then they also have two high draft picks on the edges. We saw what Kayvon Thibodeau did. Uh, Ojolari is really good as well. So um, I don't know if that's a group where you, want to, that's where you want to say, let's put Sam Cosme, give him his second career start, or even get significant snaps at guard when he hasn't had the experience. He's coming off the injury. I understand that logic to an extent. But I was a little surprised. And we'll see going forward here. What they do, um, I think Cosmere Guard is an experiment worth trying, but maybe it's a little just too challenging to do it this late in the year when the winds uh, are you know, are above me beyond. Winds are more important right now than developing, right? Let's just say that. Um, at CLT underscore NY asked, Washington rushed it fewer than thirty times for the first time since Week Eight. Was it about Wink Martindale's defense that makes Rivera and Turner move away from that proven success metric? to throw it more. Um, uh, it's a good question. Sam and I talked about this a little bit. And again, to me, this is about the identity aspect of this. You can say that we're a power running team and all that, but Brian Robinson was running well and doing a really effective job, um, at that with, you know, I mean, and also he isn't just getting yards. He's setting a tone. Don't, don't, don't mess with me is his tone. Um, And yet Washington only ran him four times in the second half. And it's not like they were running anybody else much. I don't necessarily know from the, if it had to do with the giants defense, I do think the pass rush situation did. Um, New York had double the QB hits eight to four on Washington. They had some sacks and tackles for loss, including of course the big strip sack by Thibodeau leading to uh, their first touchdown as, as he picks it up and scores on the touchdown. Um, but Washington was having really good success. Brian Robinson averaged over seven yards a carry, but only carried it 12 times. I, I just think, again, I don't, I don't want to keep repeating myself here, but I, I just think that like it's not enough to say we want to do these different things. You've got to be able to identify this is how what we want to do. We want to dictate terms in, in this way and go from there. But, you know, it's easier said than done when you don't have an obvious quarterback and they have these playmakers, I just think, you know what, even if it means keeping one of your three receivers off the field, going double, you know, 12 personnel, two tight ends, helping with the blocking, you know, to, to, to maximize the running back. I just feel like that would be a pretty good way um, to go. Uh, let's see here. What other questions do we have? Um, <laughs> at Scott Mora just simply asks why Ben? why scott if, i don't know how long you've been a fan of this team but if you've been a fan for a minute you know heartbreak is part of the deal at least it has been for the last 20 years and that was a tough one uh for sure uh last one here at never to tweet asks how can you run an nfl cabal or offense with a five foot nine quarterback. You know what? Five foot nine. Let me skip that one. We've talked about Heineke a bunch. Let me see if there's anything else in here of note. Um Well, I would just say this. I haven't had a chance to watch the all twenty two yet. I'm gonna be curious to see how they were using the defensive lineman because it looked to me from the press box that there were times when I'm seeing Deron Payne line up like outside almost not purely on the edge but more in that you know guard tackle spot or or towards um towards the tackle which was unusual of course because you know he's known you know for being you know if not over the center at least next to lined up next to the center and in partic- I don't know if he was doing that on these plays but when Saquon Barkley has three carries in a row for you know 12 15 and 14 yards right after that Heineke second fumble and it really seemed like that was sort of a you know, knock the wind out of you kind of moment. I am just sort of curious how much was that about them wanting to worry about Daniel Jones, try to hem him in a bit and uh, versus not worrying as much about Barkley, who was pretty quiet until that stretch right there. Got probably about half of his yards in the game during that time. But they were big yards, and that all led to a field goal. Uh, so anyway, I will be curious to look at the tape and see – how much or how much they were using pain and, and therefore perhaps John Allen wider than normal. Um, I think that'll be something that to keep an eye on uh, as we get into the film. All right. Um, and just a quick deal here for the schedule this week on the short week tomorrow, Tuesday, they're going to have a walkthrough. We will be out there for that Wednesday and Thursday will be the normal practices, but normal meaning a Thursday and a Friday. And then they head out to California and play Saturday against the Niners huge game again obviously but this was the the, this, the Giants game is the bigger game they need to beat the Niners but it's not as desperate because there's no tiebreaker in there but if you lose you got to probably have to win your last two to make the playoffs so a lot going on here for the Commanders we will see what happens more podcasts to come this week you know uh, happy holidays of course to everyone um, but more podcasts to come uh, here on the Standard room only podcast until next time see ya